Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, 2 Corinthians, Strength in Weakness. Good morning, everyone. Please open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we're continuing today our verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Corinthians called Strength in Weakness. And we've been studying through this book for quite some time now, working through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. That's how we like to study books of the Bible here at Whitefields. And so today we're picking up where we left off in our study last week in verse 7 of chapter 11. So please turn there in your Bibles. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, in your Bible apps, please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to speak to us through your word whenever we open it. And so this morning, Lord, we ask for that same thing. We ask as we open your living word that you would speak to us by your spirit, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us. Help us to comprehend the meaning of the text. But Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to be doers of your word, not hearers only. And we pray that you do this transforming work in our lives through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was waiting for this bill to arrive in the mail, and I knew that it was going to be a lot, um, but I was a little bit nervous to find out exactly how much it was going to be. We were living in Hungary at the time. Our first daughter was less than a year old, but that first year of her life had been pretty rough. You see, when she was born, she had almost died at birth, and thankfully the doctors were able to save her life, but that process of saving her life, you know, it included a lot of ambulance rides and intensive care and multiple hospitals and specialists and therapies, and it was all very necessary, but we also knew that it was going to be very expensive, and they had told me that they were going to send us a bill. So I was waiting for that bill to arrive. And one day, sure enough, postal worker delivered a big brown envelope to our house, which contained the bill for uh, the medical bills that my daughter had incurred. And as I opened up this envelope, right, I pulled out the document. I just scanned it. There was a lot of things written on it, and I I just kind of skipped to the bottom. And the amount that we owed was over $100,000. Now, at that time, uh, we... We had uh, probably like in our bank account several tens of dollars, right? So we, we didn't have uh, $100,000 by any means or even any way to make $100,000. Uh, I had no idea how we were ever going to pay this. But then I saw at the very end of the document, at, all, at the very, very last thing, it said, total amount due, zero. And it said that the total amount that we owed had been paid in full, It had been covered by insurance a little bit, but also by some charitable foundations who had covered this cost for us. But looking at this bill was really interesting because it was clear that the treatments our daughter received, they were not free. They were were costly. They were expensive. And we didn't have the money to pay for it, but other people had paid the bill for us. And that same thing is true when it comes to our salvation and what Jesus did for us. We get to receive forgiveness and redemption and grace as a free gift. It's God's gift to you. And you can receive it freely, but that doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. right? That doesn't mean that somebody didn't pay that cost. It may be free to you, 
But it wasn't cheap, right? There's a very real price that was paid in order to make that salvation possible for you. And it's a price that neither you nor I could ever pay for ourselves. The message of the gospel is that Jesus paid that price for you so that you could then freely receive the gift of God's grace of redemption and salvation. Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 15, which we're going to look at today. Paul the Apostle, he's going to talk to the Corinthians about the nature of gifts and the idea that you get what you pay for. You see, Paul had given the Corinthians a gift, but they hadn't really appreciated the cost that was involved in what Paul did for them. And Paul's going to use this as an opportunity to talk to them about the difference in motivation between himself and another group of people who were active in the Corinthian church, who wanted to be leaders, but they were leading people astray, and they were doing so for selfish reasons. The title of today's message is Paid in Full. And here's what we're going to see in our text today. Every week I give you a sentence, and that functions as our outline and our guide for studying these verses. So today's sentence, I'd love it if you'd write it down, take a photo, whatever you got to do to remember it, but here's what it is. Our salvation is a free gift because Jesus paid the costly price to transform us from slaves of sin to servants of righteousness. So one more time, then we'll break it down. Our salvation is a free gift because Jesus paid the costly price to transform us from slaves of sin to servants of righteousness. So let's look at the first part of that sentence. Our salvation is a free gift. Look at how Paul begins in the first verse of this section in verse 7. He says this, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself? so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. And here in this final section of this letter, Paul is addressing a problem that existed in the Corinthian church at this time. The problem was that there was a power struggle going on in the church. There was a group of people in the church there in Corinth, who believed that they should be the ones who should be in charge of the church. And they were vying for power. They were vying for control over the church. This group of self-appointed leaders, they claimed that they were specially anointed by God. They considered themselves to be superior in every way to everybody else, including the leaders of that church, and even they consider themselves to be superior than the apostles, including the apostle Paul. They consider themselves to be more spiritual than others, more eloquent than others. And as a result, they felt that people should be following them, not those losers like the apostle Paul. Now, after all, they said, just look at our lives. Compare our lives to the life of the apostle Paul. We are wealthy and successful. We're strong and good looking. But Paul, he's kind of a mess. He's frumpy looking. He's constantly sick. He's constantly suffering all kinds of misfortune. And he's poor. Who wants to follow somebody like that? Wouldn't you rather, they said, follow somebody like us? You know, somebody who's a winner. Now, throughout this letter, Paul has been alluding to some of the things that this group was saying, and he's been kind of alluding to them and kind of addressing some of the things that they have been saying. But here in this final section of the letter, from chapters 10 to 13, Paul is now no longer alluding. 
No longer, he's speaking directly. He's talking about this group directly. And here in chapter 11, particularly, he gets very direct in telling the Corinthians what is wrong with these people who want to be leaders, who are asserting themselves that they should be the ones leading the church, what's wrong with them, and why the Corinthians should not follow them. Now, the reason why, Paul said in verse 4, as we looked at in our study last week, is because these people were actually preaching a different gospel. They were teaching a different Jesus than the Jesus whom Paul and the other apostles had proclaimed. See, rather than preaching Christ and him crucified, rather than preaching the death and new life, these people were preaching kind of a a feel-good gospel, if you can even call it that, which promised prosperity and success in this life for all those who follow Jesus. But now here in verses 7 through 15, Paul is going to point out to the Corinthians that the problem with this group of people is not just that they preach a false message, it's also that they have an incorrect motivation. So it's not just their message, but now he's going to talk in these verses about their motivation. That's why Paul says here in verse 7, opening this section, he says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? See, Paul is wanting to highlight the contrast in motivation between himself and these people whom he mockingly referred to in verse 6 as super apostles. So in verse 6, Paul referred to these people, literally, he's making fun of them. He's being, uh, you know, sarcastic. And he says, he calls them super apostles because these people consider themselves to be superior to everybody else. And Paul says, oh, well, I guess if you're superior to the apostles, well, then what does that make you? It makes you a, I guess it makes you a super apostle. So he's kind of mocking them. But here in verse 7, he continues that kind of sarcastic tone. And he says, you Corinthians, you think these, these guys who are promoting themselves, exalting themselves, you think they're so awesome when they go around talking about how much better they are than everybody else. You guys just eat it up. You love it. And he says, look, if you like it so much when these people exalt themselves, then what? Do you think that it was sin for me when I humbled myself and preached the gospel to you free of charge? I just wanted to serve you, but it seems like you guys appreciate it more when somebody puffs themselves up with pride. Seems like maybe you guys would actually respect me more if I took advantage of you rather than if I served you, right? Is this, is this how it goes? You can hear the frustration in Paul's voice. Sometimes, you know, the thing is this. When something is free, sometimes people don't appreciate it or value it as much as they would have if they had to pay for it. Right, so for example, a few years ago, there was this social experiment that took place about this idea of perceived value, right? Because something has a value, but also there's the way that you perceive that value, right? So Joshua Bell, he's one of the, the foremost musicians in the world. He's a violinist, and he took his violin into a subway station in Washington, D.C. He put out a little hat, he got a little stool, and he sat down and he played music in the subway, Now, over the course of 45 minutes, he played six pieces from Bach. And thousands of people walked past him during that time. But only six people stopped. And even those who stopped only stopped for a couple seconds each. The person who stopped for the longest was a three-year-old boy, but he was quickly pulled away by his mom who said, come on, let's get out of here. Over the course of this 45 minutes, in his hat, he collected a total of $32, right? So people, that's how much they uh, paid him for playing there in the subway. And when he finished playing, no one applauded, 
In fact, no one really even noticed, right? It was just silence as he packed up his violin and walked away. But that man, Joshua Bell, really, he is one of the greatest musicians alive. The violin he was playing there in the subway cost $3.5 million. One of the pieces he played was one of the most intricate violin pieces that exists. And just two days earlier, Joshua Bell had sold out a theater in Boston where the average ticket price was $100. So there are these thousands of people in the subway who inadvertently walked past something of incredible value and beauty, but they didn't appreciate it because it was free. And that's how it goes. They considered that it must not be that great because it was free. Now, it's the same thing that's happening here with Paul the Apostle and the Corinthians. He's humbled himself to serve them free of charge. In the book of Acts, we read about how when Paul came to Corinth on his second missionary journey, he worked as a tent maker during his time there to pay the bills and make ends meet because he never wanted to, anyone to ever be able to accuse him of only doing ministry for the money, of being a pastor or preaching the gospel or starting churches or trying to convert people to follow Jesus just so that he could get their money. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, interestingly, Paul talks about this. He tells the Corinthians, he says, you remember what I did. He says, but I want you to understand that it is good and right for someone who is a minister of a gospel or a pastor. It's right for them to be paid by the people they minister to, just like the priests in the Old Testament, or just like how you wouldn't starve an ox if it's plowing your field. Paul says it's right, it's appropriate for a minister to be paid. But then he says, when I was in Corinth, I gave up that right on purpose. He said, I never asked you for money, lest anyone ever accuse me of just being in it for the money. So Paul says, look, would you guys have respected me more if I would have ripped you off? If I would have taken advantage of you? You know, I did this for free because I loved you, and it seems that you value it less because I did it for free. And Paul's saying, what? Would you have respected me more if I treated you badly? Would you have respected me more if I would have, you know, taken your money to line my pockets rather than serving you for free? You know, one of the stumbling points for some people when it comes to the gospel really is this fact that the forgiveness and salvation that God offers us through Jesus is a free gift. For some people, that's a stumbling block. The reason it's a stumbling block for some people is because there can tend to be this mentality that if something is free, it must not be very valuable. You know, when I lived in Hungary, we were, you know, we were missionaries. We lived in the city and we had a university in our city. And we would often do outreach at the university. I remember this one time, we organized an outreach event at the university. And so we asked a friend of ours to create a flyer for it. Now, it was a free event, like we were footing the bill for it and everything, and so it was free for those who attended. And so he wrote on there, you know, here's when the event will be, here's where it will be. And at the end, he wrote this line in kind of bold letters, and it said, and the best part is, it's free. Right, so we got these flyers all printed up, and we take them to the university. So we're walking around the campus, and we're handing out these flyers to students to invite them to this outreach. Well, one of the first students I hand it to, he takes it and standing right there in front of me. He reads the whole thing over and then hands it back to me, and he says, well, if the best part is that it's free, then I'll find something else to do. If that's the best part, then I'll probably do something else. And that stung a little, but it was a good point, right? Like duly noted, if the best part of something is that it's free, then it's probably not that great. It's probably not worth your time. So we never put that on any of our flyers again. In fact, we we actually started sometimes charging kind of a minimal amount just so that people would value things that we did more. 
But it can be the same way with the free gift of salvation that is offered to us in Jesus. For some people, because it's free, because it's not something you have to earn by jumping through hoops or performing religious acts or, or earning it, for some people that might cause them to actually value it less or to not feel the same sense of urgency about it, not feel that it's really that big of a deal. Think about it, even the fact that church services like this one are free of charge. That might cause some people, I think it does, I think it causes some people to undervalue and underappreciate what takes place in these gatherings. You see, rather than realizing what a treasure has been given to us, because it's free, some people might be tempted to overlook or undervalue the beauty of what God has done for you and the urgency to respond in faith. But that brings us to the next part of our sentence, right? So our salvation is a free gift because Jesus paid the costly price. Look at verse 8. Paul says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. You see, it wasn't that Paul didn't believe that it was right to accept payment or salary for his work as a pastor or minister of the gospel. He did. But he didn't want to receive that from the Corinthians. See, during that time when he was there, he didn't accept money from them. He did accept money from other people, but not from them. Look at verse 9. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, as the truth of Christ is in me. Uh, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And he says, and why? Because I, because I do not love you? God knows I do. There were times when Paul was living in Corinth where he struggled, where he struggled financially. And be, but because his goal was to be a blessing and not a burden to the Corinthians, he refused to ask money from them. Instead, he asked other churches to help him out, like perhaps the more established churches in Macedonia, which is why if you read, for example, Paul's letter to the Philippians, which Philippi being the chief city of Macedonia, you'll notice in his letter to the Philippians, he thanks them for all the times over the years that they have helped him and supported him financially. But Paul says to the Corinthians here, don't you guys get it? Don't you see? I did what I did because I love you. And that's the difference between me and these other guys, you know, who are vying for power, who want to lead, who are asserting themselves that they're just as much apostles as anybody else. They're just in it to exalt themselves and to line their pockets. But I'm here because I genuinely love you and I want what's best for you. That's why Paul says, I don't want you to follow them. They're preaching a false gospel and they're just in it for themselves, to line their pockets and to get their own glory. You know, it's an interesting point that Paul makes here. Even though Paul's service to the Corinthians was free to them, it wasn't actually free, right? Like somebody had to foot the bill for it. And the same thing is true, again, when it comes to our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift. But the reason it's free is because Jesus paid the price that neither you nor I could ever pay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, don't forget, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. What that tells us is that there was a price that had to be paid in order for your salvation to become a reality. And that price was so high that you could not pay it yourself. 
The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid that price for you. So when we talk about salvation being a free gift, or when we say that a relationship with God is freely offered to you, you need to understand that although it's free to you, it wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus everything. We're told in the book of Hebrews that the cost Jesus paid was his own blood, his very life. So why was it that Jesus had to pay this price in order to save us? Well, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for, for instance, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have all done wrong things, and we've also all failed to do the right things. And just like with my daughter's medical bills, right, you begin to accumulate quite the amount of debt as you go on, this debt that you have absolutely no way to ever pay. It'd be like if you went to a restaurant. You know, ever notice how it goes, like when you go to a restaurant? Right? Like when you're in the ordering phase, well, what is money, right? Like, who cares about money? Look at all these things on the menu. We'll get all, let's get some of that. We'll get some of this. Drinks. Bring it. Yes, we're eating like kings today. But then they bring the bill, and you're like, well, how did this happen? Like, who's responsible? There must be a mistake. And you look over it real closely, and you're like, no, apparently I did this, right? Well, imagine, right? So you get the bill, and you're like, okay. So you hand them your credit card. They run your card. They come back a few minutes later, and the waiter says to you, sorry, I don't know what happened, but it says insufficient funds. You say, well, that can't be right. And so you, you give them your other credit card, right? And they run that one. Insufficient funds. And so you call your bank. You're going to sort this out. And the bank says, no, no, that's correct. You have insufficient funds. So the police show up. They arrest you. <laughs> they arrest you, put you in jail for insufficient funds. And when your day comes in court, they sentence you to life in jail. No parole because of insufficient funds. If only there was someone who was able to pay that price for you, who had the capital to be able to pay that price to release you from bondage. But of course, the problem is that price is so high. Where, where are you ever going to find somebody who has that kind of capital to be able to pay such a high price? And even if you could find someone who could pay that bill, what would make them ever want to? What would make them be willing to pay it for you? But the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God come to us in human flesh, not only is he able to pay that price, in fact, he's the only one who can, but not only is he able to pay that price, but he's willing to pay that price for you because he loves you. And that's exactly what Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He came to you to do for you what you could not do for yourself in order to redeem your life and set you free, in order to give you the hope of everlasting life, the forgiveness of your sins, because he paid the debt, the wages of your sins on your behalf because he loves you. But the salvation that God has purchased for you in Christ, it doesn't only change where you go when you will die. 
you know what else? It also transforms your life here and now as well. And that's what we're going to look at in these final verses of this section and the final part of our sentence, which is, again, our salvation is a free gift because Jesus paid the costly price to do what? To transform us from slaves of sin to servants of righteousness. Look at verse 12. He says, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. You see, these people in Corinth who were self-appointed leaders vying for power of the church, they wanted to be regarded as apostles. They were like, we're apostles too. And Paul says, no, you're not. No way. I'm not going to let that happen. And, and you know what I'm going to do, Paul says? I'm going to keep exposing these guys for what they really are. And you want to know what they are? He's just going to tell you straight up in verse 13. Such men, you know what they are? They are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Earlier, Paul sarcastically mocked them as super apostles. But now he's done with the sarcasm. Now he's going to be as clear, as plain, as straightforward as possible. You know what these guys are? They're false apostles. That's what they are. They're deceitful workmen. Their message is wrong. Their motivation is wrong. They are false teachers. They are wolves. Now this is an important point here. Do you know? Do you realize? Do you understand? There are still false teachers that exist in the world today. Right? There are false teachers that exist in the world even today. So how do you identify a false teacher, right? Do they, they introduce themselves as a false teacher, right? How, how are you going to know? Well, here's how Paul tells us. You identify them as a false teacher based on their message and based on their motivation. Their message and their motivation. If their message is not the pure, unadulterated word of God, the message of the gospel of salvation through Christ and him crucified, and if their motivation is not to serve, but rather to control or manipulate or exalt themselves or line their own pockets. Those are the signs of a false teacher and a deceitful workman. Again, false teachers, right? They don't just walk up to you and introduce themselves as false teachers, right? They don't have name tags that, that indicate, you know, that they're a false teacher. Uh, and they also don't have, like, horns coming out of their head and, like, mean looks on, your face, on their faces and, like, you know, chase your children around to scare them. They might look like good, nice, friendly people. And you know what? Maybe some of them don't even, don't even know that they're false teachers. And no wonder, Paul says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Right? It wouldn't be very... Uh, deceitful of Satan if he was just to show up in like the cartoon Satan scary garb with the pitchfork and the horned thing and the pointy tail. You'd be like, oh, there's Satan. I'll just avoid him. No, but you know what? If you were to see him, he would be incredibly attractive. That's the point. And he says, verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So Paul here makes a contrast between those who are servants of Satan and those who are servants of righteousness. And he says that these false apostles in Corinth, even if they don't mean to be, they are actually being used by Satan to serve Satan's purposes, to further Satan's mission in the world. Satan would love to mislead people away from faith in Jesus. And so what better way to do it 
than to encourage people to preach a false gospel and a different Jesus. And Paul concludes this section by saying, these people will be judged by their deeds. Let me tell you, the worst thing that could ever happen to you would be for God to judge you according to your deeds. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I just hope that God sees my heart and gives me what I deserve. No, you don't, right? No, you do not. That, that would not be what you want. If God were to give you what you deserve, that would be the worst thing that could happen to you. You know why? Because, as we talked about earlier, the wages of sin is death, and we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 130. He says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, if God gave us what we deserve, no one would be left standing. But it says in Psalm 103 that God's mercy is that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Back in Psalm 130, the psalmist says this, but with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. And he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. That word redemption is a really important word throughout the Bible. It's a word that actually comes from the slave trade. You see, the word redemption, it means to obtain possession of something by purchasing it. So to obtain possession of something by purchasing it. So imagine a literal slave. They have an owner. But if someone else comes along and wants to purchase them, then there would be a transfer of ownership. In the ancient world, one of the main reasons why someone would end up in slavery was poverty and debt, which were often linked to each other. If you were in a lot of debt and you had no way to pay it, your debtors would come looking for you and they, they had debtors' prisons that they would throw you in. So one way you could get out of debt and out of poverty was to sell yourself into slavery. So let's say, for example, let's say you had $100,000 worth of debt. You could sell yourself into slavery for that price, for $100,000. And you would say, I'll be your slave for 10 years, for example, in order to, in exchange for you paying off my debt. Now, if somebody else came along and they said, I want to purchase your slave. I like the looks of that slave. I want to purchase them. What they would need to do is then they would need to purchase their debt. And then you would belong to them. Your debt would be owned by them. And essentially, this is the message of the gospel. You were born a slave. You were born into slavery. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6, that you were born as a slave to sin. You were born in slavery to sin. You didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose you. You, you were born into sin. It was your master. But Jesus came, and he looked at you, and he said, I want her. I want him. What's the price? How much would it cost to redeem him or to redeem her? But see, your debt, your sin was so great that the price of redemption was so high that nothing less than the very life of God himself was sufficient to pay that price. And the incredible thing is that God loves you so much that he was willing to pay that price for you. He was willing to do that for you. And he did. In Jesus on the cross, he redeemed you by his blood. His life given for you to pay your debt and make you his own. And so when you embrace what Jesus did for you, when you receive that gift of redemption, what happens then is a transfer of ownership. 
Whereas you used to have an old master, right? You were a slave to sin. Now you have a new master. You're a servant of righteousness. You're a servant of God. God is your master. He's your Lord. That's why it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become slaves of righteousness. What does it mean to be a servant of righteousness? Well, look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 15, Paul says that these false apostles... Right? Their lives and their actions are serving the devil's purposes. They're furthering the devil's causes rather than serving God's purposes and furthering God's mission in the world. So what happens when that change of ownership takes place and you're redeemed by Jesus is that the entire purpose, the entire meaning of your life changes. You're transformed from being a slave to sin and you become a servant of righteousness. And the purpose, the meaning, the goal of your life shifts from serving yourself to serving God. Rather than seeking to fulfill your own agenda in opposition to God or, or just ignoring God, instead you begin looking for ways that your life can serve God's agenda, even if it means sacrifice and surrender. Maybe there are some of you here today, and that's God's word for you today. You've been redeemed through faith in Jesus. Now God is calling you to live your life as you now truly are, as a servant of righteousness, living your life for his purposes in every area, saying, Lord, I want to be a penny in your pocket that you can spend wherever and however it pleases you most. I want to be a tool in your hand that you can take and you can use to accomplish your will for your glory. Being a servant of righteousness, I got to tell you, it is the most exciting, most fulfilling, most rewarding life that you can possibly imagine because you're living for the one cause that actually matters for all of eternity. Maybe there are others of you, though, who maybe you're not even sure if you've ever received that gift of redemption and salvation. You can do that today by putting your trust and your faith, not in yourself, but in Jesus and what he did for you. And you can begin living for him today. Friends, our salvation is a free gift because Jesus paid the costly price to transform us from slaves of sin to servants of righteousness. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.